Here to hear my conversation with Chief Economist Todd Matina, we talk all about the long-term capital market projections that he's currently working on and will be publishing in the McKenzie Orange Book. We talk about what the implications of those expectations of those changes of expectations are for both pension plans and individual investors. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKinsey Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm delighted to be here with Todd Matina. Todd, welcome back. Thanks so much for having me back on the podcast. Uh, I'm excited to talk to you uh, as I know that you're in the final stages of putting together the 2023 long-term capital markets outlook, uh, which we uh, put in an orange book and hence we call it our orange book. Um, And I would suspect that the year-over-year change uh, compared to 2021 to 2022 or 2020 to 2021 is considerably different this time. Uh, So I thought maybe I would uh, ask you, how are things looking as far as your 10-year outlook? Uh, And particularly, what are bonds uh, looking to do that there's been so much movement within that space? No, great. Thanks, Matt. And uh, absolutely, you know, every December, we put out McKenzie's Orange Book, which, as you're saying, is our long term assumptions for capital market returns. So average returns for equities and fixed income in different geographies, different kinds of asset classes from equities, corporate bonds, government bonds, currencies. Uh, and you know, this just as a preview, you're absolutely right. Um, there's been a fairly notable change in this year's results. I mean, if we look at past years, equities were looking richly valued, bond yields were low. So for a multi-asset portfolio, like a typical 60-40 portfolio of stocks and bonds, the 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 expected return, the average return over the next five, 10 years, which is the focus of the orange book, wasn't terribly attractive relative to historical returns. But this year we've had a big uh, a big uh, switch. And you know it, it really comes from exactly where you were heading with fixed income. Now this has been a painful year for investors. We've seen in the markets both fixed income and equities under pressure. This has been a very dramatic year for fixed income um, where we've seen this big surge in bond yields, which means a fall in bond prices. So not a great year for, for people holding fixed income in 2022. But the flip side of that is lower bond prices mean higher yields. And today, you know, bond yields back in January at the beginning of the year were in the neighborhood of one and a half percent. Now we're more in the neighborhood of three and three quarters percent. It's one of the most dramatic increases in yields that we've ever seen. Like uh, I think for the 10 year U.S. Treasury, it's been uh, one of the worst total return years since at least 1900, if not before that. So it's very dramatic year. But the flip side, again, is on a go forward basis for the next five year, 10 year expected returns, uh, we have a much more attractive environment. So, um, you know, a big piece of a fixed income expected returns is is its starting yield. So at three and three quarters percent, we're already dramatically higher than where we were just a year ago. Uh, And that's lifted the expected return for a a typical balanced portfolio, a typical multi-asset portfolio. So if you look at uh, just using 10-year government bonds uh, to, to represent sort of long-term government fixed income, uh, you know, we're looking at returns that are almost two percentage points higher than just a year ago on a right. go-forward basis for the next decade. And 
you know, as the risk-free asset out there, which is the government bond, as its yield goes up, it forces every other asset class to compete with that expected return. So if you can get a risk-free return of three and three quarters percent over 10 years, that forces up the long-run expected return for stocks, corporate bonds, and other asset classes. And because of that, we have um, a, a stronger expected return for most uh, national equity markets as well. So this is lifting the expected return for a multi-asset 60-40 style portfolio to one of the highest levels we've seen in several years. I mean, uh, so it's, it's much more attractive. And I think importantly, not only are the expected returns more attractive, but the risk characteristics are going to be better than mm -hmm. what we've seen in 2022. I mean, this year was a terrible year in the sense that both stocks and bonds in the marketplace were down, but risk also didn't pan out the way we had hoped because both stocks and bonds fell at the same time, which right. we haven't seen in many years. This is very statistically unusual. Usually when stocks are under pressure, you see this flight into the safety of risk-free government bonds and, and investors can count on that to get some diversification benefits. This year, you know, we didn't get that. Uh, but I think on a go-forward basis, our estimates are that we're going to see a, a return to this kind of um, uh, inflation will peak. We're going to see inflation steadily come down over the next 10 years. And that's going to give a lift to fixed income returns. As we kind of exit from this high inflation regime, bonds should go back to that traditional diversification role they played in a 60-40. And they have the benefit of the higher starting yields as well. So this is good news. We should see stocks and bonds continue to deliver a well-diversified, a well-balanced uh, portfolio for investors with a higher long-run expected return. That is good news, Todd, on all fronts. Yeah. Um, you uh, you explicitly talked about the uh, the fixed income markets and, and the rationale for that, that going up. Uh, you referenced uh, equities uh, increasing as well as the risk-free rate goes up. Um, anything else on equities? I mean, valuations are clearly more compelling uh, than they were at the start of the year. How much does that factor in? I mean, I realize we're talking about 10 years, so maybe the factor there is, is minimal. But what, what are the overall uh, views on equities? There's a lift beyond that risk-free rate. Yeah, so I think one of the uh, one of the key takeaways that's coming out of this year's edition of the Orange Book will be uh, the regional variation in equities. Mm. That's a big theme. So. Maybe not surprising, but when you look at North American stocks, particularly U.S. stocks, you know, the, we started the year, you know, coming off 2021, valuations were looking a little frothy. They were looking sure. quite expensive, which was lowering the long run expected return on a go forward basis for, for U.S. stocks. Now, we've had 2022 and year to date, um, equity valuations are obviously off the peaks of 2021. So starting valuations look more attractive. And historically speaking, you know, when starting valuations are more attractive, that's fairly reliably predicted a better forward looking expected return um, than when valuations are expensive. It's kind of uh, intuitive. Now, the problem, the issue, I guess, for investors is that um, North American equities, especially U.S. equities, still look, I wouldn't say they're cheap. They're not as expensive as they were in 2021, but they're still, you know, fair, I would say fully valued. And in, and in that context, for investors looking for both diversification benefit and maybe some more attractive starting valuations, international stocks mm -hmm. and emerging market stocks offer both attractive value and that broader, you know, being a broader, more diversified set of geographies, sectors, 
uh, equity styles, so providing more balance in your portfolio. So for example, if I think about uh, US and US equities, for example, you know, we could see an, a 10-year average expected return of, of just over 8%, for example. But for international equities like European stocks, UK stocks, uh, emerging market equities, we're seeing uh, the prospect for even higher average expected returns because they've just they've really been a neglected area of the equity market for a number of years. Uh, they're starting to come on, but this, the starting valuations in our mind are still attractive relative to U.S. equities. So this is, I think, sort of a win-win for investors interested in thinking about long-run accumulation, sort of a, a healthy long-run expected return, as well as getting the diversification benefit across different geographies and, and uh, you know, different sectors and so on that are offered in different national markets. That's great. Um, one of the uh, big users of the Orange Book, uh, I know from our conversation, are, are people who are involved in pension plans. Um, and, uh, and pension plans have had a bit of a odd 2022 uh, in the sense that clearly these are, are plans that are large holders of both stocks and bonds. Uh, but that that increase in the discount rate helps them out on the liability side. Um, what is your view on on pension plans, uh, their funding status, and and what do you think that means for sort of flows of capital? Yeah, this is an interesting issue. That's I mean, it's a little counterintuitive. Twenty twenty two for individual investors looking at their portfolio value. This has been a, a challenging year. We've seen sure. both equity valuations, fixed income valuations fall. Um, but for pension plans from a surplus position, like thinking about their long-run funding status, this has actually been not a bad year in, 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 um, in the sense that the future value, the present value of all their future pension promises, all their pension uh, benefits that they need to pay out over time, you know, if you discount that back at the higher level of interest rates today, the present value of, the, of that liability has fallen quite significantly. Um, that's the flip side of this dramatic rise in interest rates is that the present value of future liabilities has gone down. You need right. less money today at this higher interest rate to pay a given liability in the future. So while asset values for pension plans as well have gone down, the, for many plans, the present value of their future liabilities has fallen even more. So net-net, their overall surplus of assets over future liabilities has, has actually improved. They have a better surplus position or a better funding position uh, in, because of the, mainly because of the dramatic rise in interest rates. Hmm. Um, so this is an interesting position now for many uh, pension plans. So they need, uh, facing a surplus position, they have a, 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 an interesting decision to make. Do they, for example, use some of this surplus to uh, you know, provide some better inflation indexation to their benefits? Do they lower contribution rates for, for the people who are still in the plan and actively contributing? Or do they de-risk the portfolio, you know, trying maybe to lock in the, the surplus position by reducing allocations to some of the more volatile asset classes like equities in the portfolio? So this is an interesting uh, challenge, I think, for a lot of allocators and pension plans. And to your question about the flows, you know, the outcome will depend on on which direction pension plan sponsors go. My thought on this, my recommendation would be that plans should not rush into big changes at this stage of the game. Hmm. I mean, we should, they should be prudent, cautious in proceeding because 
I, I think the most important takeaway is that we're only one major recession away from renewed funding issues for pension plans. And right. if you think about it, you know, if there's another major recession in 2023 or 2024, which is a distinct possibility, if that happens, then we should see interest rates drop again. And of course, asset values would likely decline as well. And then in that scenario, the improved funding position would reverse for a pension plan. The interest right. rates are lower, so the present value of all their future liabilities goes up. And then on the asset side, they're also suffering a lower asset value. So the, the surplus they have would shrink. So it's probably, I would say a, a prudent approach would be to you know, hold a buffer on their, on, from an asset liability perspective. If you have a, a modest surplus, don't rush into sort of big changes in the plan. Hold that surplus until we see how 2023 and 2024 shake out, and um, you know avoid kind of changes in the in indexation to inflation, changes uh, maybe with special payments to to current pensioners. Uh, as nice as it would be to kind of help them, and this has been a difficult year for pensioners who may sure. not you know because of the high rates of inflation, which erodes their purchasing power. As retired people, you, you want to help these people, but unfortunately, the plans aren't structured for that. So, uh, you know, it's basically providing more benefits without the contribution history going into it that puts more pressure on the long run sustainability of the plan. So, this is a difficult situation that plans are in. I think. The prudent thing would be to sort of wait and see how the next year shapes up uh, to see if we're heading for that that hope for soft landing in the economy, which would be right. good news for everyone, including pension plans, uh, or if we get, unfortunately, a hard landing recession, uh, which would reverse some of these funding gains. So to summarize, uh, don't do anything just yet, but in a year or two, you should have more clarity on, on where... Um, where you might make changes, whether that be increased benefits or uh, or de-risk the the plan. Um, interesting. Uh, I'm curious. Uh, pension plans uh, they're a, a large uh, source of funds within the market. They can they can move uh, prices. Of course, individuals uh, listen to this podcast as well and work with financial advisors in order to prepare uh, for their retirement. Um, it strikes me that individuals may have different perspectives on uh, on the um, the outlook and under what 2022 has meant for them. I, I think a lot of them would just characterize it as flatly negative as opposed to having that silver lining. Uh, what do you take, uh, what do you think that uh, individual investors saving for retirement should take away from the renewed orange book and the, the changes in that long run uh, expected returns? So great point. And there's some parallels between the individual investor, you know, trying to accumulate a nest egg for retirement to cover their future retirement spending needs and a pension plan, which is kind of doing the same thing. It's taking contributions from people currently working and and paying out a, a benefit, which a pension benefit, which is to pay for retirement spending needs. So there's actually some, there's quite a bit of overlap. You know, if there is a bright side, I would say this, that the rise in interest rates, um, which has improved sort of long-run funding conditions on a solvency basis for pension plans, has also had the same effect for, for individual investors. So if you are looking for a certain dollar amount of pension benefit or, or retirement spending when you retire, um, you need less capital now, less savings at this higher interest rate to get there. But it's not that simple, of course, because of course, you know, it also matters a lot what happens to inflation. So maybe you sure. wanted a certain dollar amount of retirement spending when you retire, but that was probably based on 
your assumption of 2% inflation forever. And now we're in this world where inflation is highly uncertain. I, you probably need more than you were expecting if inflation ends up settling at 3% in the long run. I mean, sure. no one's that's not the expectation, but like, let's say that happens. Uh, there's definitely more risk than there was two years ago. So I think that's one issue to consider is not only you may need um, less capital to get there because of the higher interest rates allows you has gives you a higher expected return, but you might want to be thinking about inflation sensitivity in your portfolio, something people hadn't really considered a lot in, in previous days. I would say the other flip side is you're right. I mean, for, for many individuals, 2022 was sort of unambiguously a difficult year. Stock valuations down, fixed income valuations down. But as long as long-term fundamentals haven't changed, one way to think about a lower value on your stock portfolio is that, yes, it's it's unfortunate that the, the value went down this year, but in the long run, the expected return has gone up. You know, right. so the kind of the flip side of a cheaper price is a higher forward-looking expected return. And if you can stay invested and uh, ride the bumps, even the big bumps, like in 2022, and recognize that on a forward-looking basis, expected returns have improved, I think that is one of the most important lessons or, or takeaways from the Orange Book and just in general investment advice is that, yeah, we're going to have bumps in the road, but oftentimes, especially for equities, that just means the long-run expected return has gone up. Um, so it's very important not to sort of uh, exit too early after markets have taken a dip sure. and not get the benefit of the long-term accumulation because the, lo the long-run expected return has improved. Um, one follow-up to that, and it sort of summarizes, and you've been referring to this throughout the entire conversation. Uh, in 2022, I think I've read about 2,000 articles about the death of the 60-40 portfolio. Yeah, right. Um, based on the comments that you've made, it sounds like there might be a resurrection of something more traditional uh, like a 60-40 uh, portfolio. Would you agree with that, the future of a 60-40 or some sort of uh, more traditional portfolio is a lot brighter uh, as we sit today, that was the beginning of 2022. Oh, 100%. I mean, uh, the 60/40 was understandably challenged when when uh, bond yields, a 10-year bond yield, uh, government bond yield was about one percent or less at some point. There wasn't much more room for bond yields to fall. Their diversification benefits were in question. So yeah, there was a lot of legitimate questions about the 60-40 and its ability to diversify, like to provide balanced risk, to provide a, a healthy long-run expected return at those yield, at those very low yield levels. But now we're in a very different position. Uh, bond yields are much higher. Um, equity valuations are not as, not as frothy as they were in 2021. So we have a healthier outlook. And like we were saying at the beginning, um, not just the expected return is better, um, but also the risk characteristics. So if inflation right. peaks, as everyone expects, and, uh, and continues falling, and central banks are doing the hard work now to get inflation back under control, if that happens, we should see fixed income yields at these higher levels with plenty of room to fall further uh, with infl as inflation peaks and comes down. So bonds can play that diversification role that we've all been getting used to over the last couple of decades. Uh, so we get a, a healthier more balanced portfolio where bonds diversify equity risk. Equities have a, a, a healthy, solid, long-run expected return. 
um, sort of eight uh, percent, give or take, and that's that's I think the sort of the ideal scenario for a 60/40 for a lot of people looking to accumulate, um, say, a retirement nest egg. So I think I think uh, we're in much better shape for those who hold multi-asset portfolios. I would also say, and this is true for the pension plans as well as the individual investors. There's many things that, even though I, you know, my 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 advice was sort of say, wait it out, let's see what happens in 2023, 24. Both individual investors and corporate pension plans could be taking steps now to try to lock in some of the, um, you know, better funding positions over the long term. Take, for example, on the asset side, look at where you have risk concentrations. Um, you know, look for opportunities to diversify risk. A good example, especially for pension plans, um, you know, Canadian equities are about 3% of the global market cap. Why allocate 10, 20% sometimes to Canadian equities, which are very also sector concentrated in sure. commodities and banks? There's opportunities for global diversification into international and emerging stocks. Uh, so reducing home bias and getting better diversification, individual investors may also fall into that home bias trap. So it's good to take a look at where the risk concentrations sit in your portfolio and um, and, and take steps to try to diversify out some of those some of those risks that might be in your portfolio. Currency is another area where, uh, again, this might be more for pension plans. But um, you know, managing currency risk efficiently um, can help reduce risk in the total portfolio. That's another step to take that can help uh, you know control risk. Um, you know, as we're as waiting to see what happens through 2023. Uh, so, for example, managing your U.S. dollar exposure as a, as a Canadian investor um, very important uh, and can help reduce total risk. That's great, Todd. Uh, just to sort of summarize what you what you went through there, I think you're saying uh, it's always a good idea to review your portfolio, make sure it's well balanced, but there's no need for a revolution on how you've been thinking about investing uh, that some of the early pundits this year uh, may be called for. Um, did I catch that? Did I summarize that correctly? Yeah, I think that's a great summary. And um, one one additional thought very quickly would be for those who are nearing retirement, um, who are facing a lot of uncertainty in the in the economy and a lot of volatility in markets, one one tweak to the 60-40 that was often often mentioned, and I think it's still valid for for people looking, you know, at retirement, is looking at sort of a downside protected strategies um, that can help. An investor still participate in some of the growth offered by equity markets, but also trim that, you know, that real drawdown potential in equity markets. Uh, so options-based downside protection is another way to try to um, manage some of that real downside risk in scenarios like 2008 or early 2020, uh, but still participate in some of the upside of capital market growth, uh, which is important because we don't want to outlive our savings. So. Downside protected strategies is another way to, to think about how to manage this. Todd, uh, I appreciate you spending the time walking through uh, some of the insights that you're putting into the Orange Book, that preview of the Orange Book, which should be uh, available uh, sometime mid to late December. Uh, I look forward to getting my hands on it. I know it's always very valuable for me. Uh, often when you're creating a plan, you need a number to put in for an asset class for those expected returns. Uh, to be sure, they're all wrong, but yours are less wrong than mine. So uh, I appreciate all the work you're doing on this, Todd, and I look forward to our next conversation. Thanks so much. 
content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and Mackenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns.